Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Uh, Today we're going to dive into the book of Jonah, Uh, but before we do, uh, my name is Isaac, many of you know me, Uh, I'm not the normal guy that preaches, the normal guy will be here next week, so if you don't like it, just hang on for a week, if you loved it, I'm sorry, that's all I'm going to say. I I realize every time I get ready to preach, it's truly humbling, and it's exciting, and uh, God's word is still working in me, and hopefully you as well. Uh, But the book of Jonah is one of my personal favorites. It appeals to me on lots of levels. Uh, When I was a younger uh, fella, the book of Jonah got my attention as a fisherman. And I thought, how big of a fish could I catch that would be so big it could swallow me? And I was a big boy, you know. And and as far as I knew, the the story stopped as soon as the fish vomited. All right, uh, the story could have ended there for me when I was little. Uh, but as I got, as I got older, uh, another appeal to Jonah as I got in my teen years, it was short. It's only four chapters long. It was easy to go through, easy to digest. Uh, and many times as a teenager, I would sit down to read the Bible and I'd like, I'm going to read a book. And 40 chapters later, I'm still reading. And it's like, I, I'm fatigued. So Jonah's uh, appeals to my ADD, and so that helps. Uh, Jonah's also just a great story, and if you've hung out with me at all, and, and really if you're alive, I feel like you'll like a good story, and so Jonah appeals to us there. Uh, but lastly, Jonah appeals to me because I learn a lot about me, and I learn about God and his love for his people. Uh, so today I'm going to ask you to snag some Bibles. They should be at least one or three under your seats or in the seat in front of you in the little bird cages there, uh, and we're going to read uh, significant chunks of Jonah as we go through uh, I'm not going to put it on the screen, uh, partially because I'm intimidated by Proclaim, and partially I just didn't have my stuff together uh, to get it up there. But uh, this is always a participatory event. It's not a uh, you take it in. So while you go look into Jonah and find Jonah, I'll, I'll give you a little hint. It's on page 1436 in your pew Bible. So I cut out the hard work for you. 1436. When I come across uh, different... People in the Bible that are different than me have different temperaments than me. I very often kind of like to to dive in and ask myself, why are they the way that they are? And and, uh, one of the ones that I've done that before is Judas. Why does Judas give up Jesus Jesus for silver? Uh, Why is Saul so intent on killing David? Uh, And why does Jonah just not want to go to Nineveh? What's so bad about Nineveh? Uh, What's the backstory here? Well, Nineveh is owned and operated by the Assyrians. So what makes the Assyrians so bad? Well, this week was the first time in preparing for this I really did a deep dive into the Assyrians. And let me assure you, they are bad people. (coughs) There are things that the Assyrians did that I can't tell you up here because it's not rated for our ears. I'm 100% honest with you. Uh, The things I discovered were truly shocking. Yes, did they kill people? Yes. Uh, But they're not murderers that would kill you quick and humane if there ever was such a thing. They really love torture. Uh, and, but they like to do it through the most painful ways possible. And in order to understand the Assyrians, we have to look into who was in charge of the Assyrians and kind of the kings. And most of the kings and the government officials were severely twisted. 
shortly after the story of Jonah, there was a man named Sennacherib who kind of takes over. And Sennacherib we know a little bit about, uh, but this guy was a particular piece of work. Uh, because yes, he would uh, maim and dismember his clientele, uh, but he also had a particular desire to crush or remove males' private parts. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. Sennacherib was really messed up. He had a deep desire to fight, and his fellows that he led just always wanted to kill people. Not a good guy. Um, but if that wasn't enough, he also was a man of no integrity. For example, using a couple other Bible references, we know that Sennacherib uh, was leading an army, and he ran into one of the good guys of the Bible. Does anybody know this story? Who did he run into? Hezekiah. Close, Jack. Hezekiah. He runs into Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, doesn't want any trouble with Sennacherib. He knows the, the history. And uh, Sennacherib offers him a deal. He says, if you pay me tribute, I'll leave you alone. So Hezekiah counts his money and says, how much is it going to be? And it's going to be three, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Which I did the math because I was fascinated. Uh, 300 talents of silver would work out to be modern day Six million dollars in silver. And 30 talents of gold, we work out to be modern day, 55 million dollars of gold. So he emptied out a bit of the bank account. Uh, the Bible even says that uh, Hezekiah took apart the door, the door frames and the adornments that were on the doors just to pay this tribute to Sennacherib. So Sennacherib receives a large amount of money and uh, you think that he would be satisfied. And he's not. Instead, he continues to pursue, and he goes through Judah, and he gets to the gates of, of Jerusalem, and his boys want to fight, and Sennacherib says, no, let's take the night off, and we'll camp out here, and in the morning, we'll take over Jerusalem. And so the boys go to sleep, and at that night, a death of angel, an angel of death from God comes and kills 185,000 of Sennacherib's army. So Sennacherib gets up in the morning and he's like, this is terrible. There's corpse everywhere and he goes home. Well, you think that would be enough to make a man turn around, but Sennacherib's particularly twisted. <clears throat> and he goes home and he prays to his god, Nisroch. And as he prays to his god, Nisroch, his prayer is that if his god makes him as powerful as he once was, he will offer his two boys to, as a burnt offering. This guy is twisted. He is twisted. And so his boys find out about his prayer, and his boys conspire against him. One of them kills dad, and then the other two, they fight over the kingdom for six weeks before the other one that didn't kill dad actually eventually takes over. Yeah, that's messed up. So the Assyrians are messed up. That's what I learned this week. The Assyrians are messed up. They were a super messed up people, and you start to understand why Jonah didn't want to go there, because they are so messed up, and particularly they've been bullies to the Israelites. So, without further ado, let's start reading Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I'll stop right there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. So as we start reading, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it seems pretty straightforward. But, uh, just a quick show of hands, how many of you have heard the word of the Lord come into your own ears from the Lord. Yeah, me either. So Jonah's already out of the gates with something that's special that we have never experienced, most of us. And it's truly special. 
And if God's talking to me, it would, it would cause me to, to go into action. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, we don't know the exact delivery method, but there was no question that it was from the Lord. Let's get to verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because it's wicked and has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed uh, for Tarshish to flee the Lord. So he leaves and goes in pretty much the wrong direction. So where he's at, uh, he needs to go to Nineveh, and that's to the northeast. That's about 700 miles away. 700 miles away from Rochester would be somewhere between Toronto, Canada, and Cleveland. Okay? It's not that far of a drive. We could get there by tomorrow morning, right? And instead, he goes south, about as far as Des Moines, Iowa, and then hops on a boat that's going to take him to Anchorage, Alaska. He goes a little bit far in the wrong direction. He's supposed to go to the northeast. He went straight west. And so, just as for geography goes, God's asking him to go a little far, and he goes a lot far the other direction. Let's keep reading. Verse, uh, we're at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind to the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God! Exclamation point. Maybe that he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making... Uh, all this trouble, or for making us all, all this trouble for us. Who do, you, uh, who do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? Uh, from, where the people, from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. They asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, <clears throat> What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I, don't know, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. <clears throat> These groups of sailors are fairly familiar, it sounds like, with the spiritual world. And the captain, we can only assume, has seen some great seas in his time, uh, takes on a role that this is some terrible, awful seas. He must feel that they're being targeted. Uh, so he's, he's cast lots to find out who it falls to. And casting lots is the idea of almost like rolling dice. Uh, if Glenn's going to pick a six, the first time uh, he would roll a six, then the lot would go to him. Uh, and so it's the idea of God getting to pick who it went to. So as they casted the lots, it went to, it went to Jonas. They knew he was the troublemaker. Uh, and after they find out that he was the troublemaker, he knows he's the troublemaker. Jonah at this part goes from uh, a passive part of the story to a sleeper in the, in the bowels of the ship to very active, from sleeping to throw me in the water. 
Uh, I always wondered why Jonah just didn't jump in. And the best uh, explanation I can find uh, that makes sense to me is that if you've ever been standing in a rocking boat, it's a little hard to just even stand. But if Jonah asks a bunch of sailors who have their sea legs to throw them in, they're probably going to get the job done. <clears throat> and so that's how that part goes. So if we get to <clears throat> verse 13, it says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for, making, for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. O Lord, have, have you done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. At this point, Jonah, or God prepares a fish for Jonah, and he's sitting in the belly of a fish for three days. Uh, there's a lot to be said about chapter one, and the fellows that were there with him in the ship sounds like they got a front row seat to God's amazing power. Jonah put their lives in danger, uh, but Jonah turns out to be an unintentional evangelist uh, to, to God's power in his testimony. How crazy of a storm would it have to be to get the attention of a bunch of sailors? Chapter 2 turns out to be fairly uneventful. We're not actually going to read it. But Jonah prays a prayer. And it's a prayer that I think most of us would pray if we were living in the bowels of a, of a fish. He says, this is my lowest point, my lowest moment. I'm dumb. I've got myself into this mess. But then he realizes in his lowest moment that salvation comes from the Lord. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, God commanded the fish to vomit him up on dry land. Sounds gruesome, but it's kind of cool. All right? And I like to think of it as like a projectile. I mean, I know this isn't there. But like, especially for those of you that have kids and have seen that, you know. I want to talk about puke right now, but I'm not going to. But, I mean, he, he's on shore. That's why I think he's from way out in the sea somewhere, and he just on to shore. All right, that's the way my sick brain pictures it. And then right in, in the beginning of chapter 3, it says, <clears throat> Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Proclaim its message, I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city, and a visit required three days. <clears throat> On the first day, Jonah started in the city. <clears throat> he proclaimed, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I wonder what that actually sounded like. What did Jonah's preaching actually sound like? <clears throat> I mean, Jonah walks into a city. He's not from around there. They would have, they would have kind of recognized that. And, and it, was it like a curbside prophet where he's yelling or was it like, repent? Repent, I guess. 40, 40 days, if you don't, it's over. You know, like, I, it doesn't seem like he has very much zeal or very much enthusiasm. And, and I imagine that his lack of enthusiasm was maybe met with, what? What did you say? I said, you have 40 days. You have to repent in the next 40 days or it's over. We do? What? 
And for some reason, it got their ears. It got their attention. Even though he's probably, it doesn't sound like he's a great messenger. The message in which he held had power. We get to verse 5. Chapter 4, verse 5 says, But the Lord replied, I'm sorry, I'm a chapter ahead. Chapter 3, verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The news reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd of the flock, taste anything. Do not let them drink or eat, but let uh, man and beast cover with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up the evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw, that, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. <clears throat> News went right to the top. The government officials issued a decree. No one ate. They covered themselves with sackcloth, a sign of, we're not well, we're sorry, we're not in good shape, Uh, things are not going good. You could tell that they were visually upset about their evil and violence. And then in verse 10, it says, when God saw this, he did not, what they did, he did not, Wow, how they turned uh, from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You would think that this would be the culmination of the story. Yeah! You know, the sound, the trumpets, and everything's awesome. But we find out Jonah's response is not so good. We get to Jonah's response in the beginning of chapter 4. And it says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it would be better for me to die than to live. First of all, what a drama king, right? I mean, seriously. I just want to die. I'm so mad. <clears throat> but Jonah makes, it, Jonah makes it very known that he is displeased. He is not happy. Uh, and he takes a very dramatic tone uh, with God. Uh, and says, isn't this the way I said it would be? <clears throat> then we get to verse 4. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. God asks a question here of Jonah, and he doesn't even answer it. Jonah has the ability to dialogue with God and ignores him. Woo! That's some gusto right there. That's some serious boldness. <clears throat> it, is, it is noteworthy that that is also one of my least favorite things that my own children do to me. And I think as a parent, you might be able to relate. You ask a child a question, and they ignore you. It's like, time out. I'm dad. I'm not just somebody. Please listen 
and respond to my words, right? All right, parents, I know you're feeling me on that one, all right? You are. But instead, instead Jonah makes himself a shelter. And he sits and watch. What is he watching for? What is he waiting for? Any guesses? Seriously, anybody have a guess what he's hoping for? What? He wanted them to die. Jonah's a man who knew the stories. He knew the Old Testament. There were times in the Old Testament where people repented and they still died. Bad still happened, and particularly like a David. The story sounds a lot like David. David uh, made a baby with Bathsheba, a son, and then God lets him know, hey, your son's not going to make it. And David lays on the floor for days and doesn't eat, and he's in the dust and he's wallowing, and the son still dies. And so here is Jonah up on the hillside looking over the city. They've completely repented, and he's still hoping they die. Boy, Jonah is bold, isn't he? <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. This is the first time in the whole book Jonah is happy. Oh, we're so happy you're happy, Jonah, right? So ridiculous. God provides him with the vine. It makes him happy. And we see really how fickle Jonah is. Verse 7. But at the dawn of the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah, uh, Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. Oh, Jonah. Oh, Jonah. One day you're happy, the next day you want to die. <clears throat> Jonah replies to God, do you have the right to be angry? And he says, yes, I do. Again, such a bold statement. <clears throat> Let's finish out. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? There it is. The book of Jonah leaves us unsettled, answering with a question or ending with a question. Things could have been different for Jonah. <clears throat> I think the first thing that I see in Jonah is that I'm jealous. I'm jealous as a man who works for the church. I would just love to hear God's voice once, audibly, one time. But Jonah has lots of blessings. God gets to, or Jonah gets to hear from God. Jonah gets specific instructions on where to go and what to say. I'd take that. Anybody else? Yeah. That'd be a pretty nice little, little trick, all right? And then inside of that, Jonah's the a guy who's going to save single-handedly, carry the message that's going to save hundreds of thousands of people. That's crazy. 120,000 people. 
That's absolutely fascinating. Jonah has also been given the ability to sleep uh, through a storm. I think it's a gift to be a heavy sleeper. It's just coming from one. I thought I'd throw that in there. But I think it's good to be a good sleeper. Uh, Jonah is given a fish. The scripture says God prepared a fish for him. Uh, Jonah also has the skills and the ability to walk around a town and preach. Jonah has the ability to build a small shelter with what he just found on the hillside. Uh, but then in chapter 4, God provides, uh, just in that chapter alone, provides a vine, a worm, and a scorching east wind. <clears throat> and even uh, though all this blessing and improvision, Jonah found a way to be unhappy. In fact, Jonah is only found happy one time in the whole book. I'm jealous for Jonah, if I'm totally honest. But maybe I'm just as bad as Jonah. Maybe I would squander it just like he did. <clears throat> if, we're considered, if, if we consider how blessed Jonah is, uh, and if Jonah would have considered it, the story maybe is different. The book of Jonah ends with a question. Should God not be concerned with such a great city? And so it begs the same question of us. Should we not care for more should we not care more for those who are unbelieving, who are pagans, than our own health and wealth and comfort? Who are the people that you know that you look at them and go, man, I wish that guy just knew Jesus. I wish that person just knew Jesus. Uh, who are the people that you know that you go, man, that, that guy needs Jesus. And, and sometimes I remember thinking this in high school. That guy needs Jesus or he might die sooner than he's supposed to. These are the kind of people the Assyrians were. Uh, if you're sitting there thinking, I think everyone I know is a Christian. Well, then one of two things has happened. Either A, uh, you're an amazing evangelist and everybody around you that wasn't a Christian now is and you have probably some truly miraculous conversion stories. Or B, uh, you possibly stopped going out into this world to save what was lost. So until the whole world knows about Jesus, please tell. Please tell the stories that you have inside of you and the scripture that you know about Jesus. One very small thing you can do uh, to share Jesus with people is just to invite. We have an, an Easter service coming up, and it's a, yes, this is a small commercial, but we have these little postcards back there on the uh, Welcome Center, and you can just grab one of these and give it to somebody and say, hey, I'll be there, I want you to be there too, all right? Maybe the morning thing is not their deal, so breakfast in the morning is going to do it, so go to meet them at second service, and then take them out for lunch afterwards, Easter brunch. There's only 100 places in the world that can serve you that, all right? Take them out for Easter brunch. What did you think? How did you, how did you feel? I mean, if, if someone, someone somewhere has to introduce people to Jesus. It's the way that it is. Uh, I still lean in hard on the statistic that says 85% of people would come to anything they are personally invited to. If I came up to you and invited to you something personally that I was excited about, you'd probably just say yes. Feels great to be invited. 85% of people. That means if you invite 100 people to church, only 15 are going to tell you no. All right, that should do something for your confidence. People need to have a start or an introduction uh, to know God. And, and God uses his church for that. I've told students many times over the years uh, to invite students to church that don't know that it's not okay to swear here. 
All right? And that's gotten me in some trouble in the past. I've gotten some emails on Thursday mornings about disgruntled parents from Wednesday nights that heard things in our church parking lot and taught their little kids phrases that they wish they hadn't. And I hear, I hear those, and I listen, but I'm just glad those guys came. I'm glad those people came to hear about Jesus. It's got to start somewhere. So you have to introduce and help introduce people to Jesus. Uh, like it or not, God puts the message of Jesus on us. I too think that it's a wild idea that he would entrust a bunch of sinners with his message. It's a wonderful message, a beautiful message. And yet he would entrust the furthering of his kingdom and the spreading of his word uh, to a bunch, of, a bunch of sinners. Every summer I spend a fair amount of time up at Pine Haven Christian Assembly, known as Camp. It's the place we send a bunch of our students. And every year we do a, a talent and variety show. You have to put the word variety in there because it's not always about the talent. Okay? Yeah. Uh, but probably one of the most beautiful things I ever saw at a talent show was this very shy girl who got up to sing. And she was not very talented at singing. But the girl behind her, backing her up with the piano, was very talented at playing piano. The singer lacked confidence, and, and like I said, really not a very good singer. And in the first verse of the song, she messed up. And I thought it was going to be tragedy, like she was going to break down. But the piano player just smiled at her and looped back through and picked her right back up, and they just kept going. And I was like, ooh, that was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. As she kept going and kept singing, she gained some confidence. The, the students started clapping and cheering for her and standing up. And my heart just became overflowed. And when the, the song got done, the first person to stand up and give a standing ovation was that piano player. And she pointed at her like this and clapped. And it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. The person that held it all together was the piano player, a great musician. And she made absolutely a rock star out of that singer. At the end of it, I could read the piano player's lips. And she said, I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. The God we serve is so full of grace and charisma. He provides the background for us through gifts and talents, through everything we do. When we mess up, he gives us a second chance. He brings the piano around again. And in our weakness, we gain a little bit of confidence. And although God is truly the star of the show, when it all happens and all goes down, he says, I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. Jonah was just a messenger, and the people of Nineveh heard the message, and they got, the, they got to decide if they were going to change or not. And they did. They repented. We are still called to the same thing. We are called to be messengers. And what's truly crazy in the book of Jonah, it exposes us as Christians. <clears throat> you see in a book, in every story, there is a, a protagonist, which is the fancy word for a good guy. And uh, who, is, who is the protagonist of the book of Jonah? Sunday school answer? It's God. Okay, good. It's God. God's the protagonist. Yep. <clears throat> and then you have the antagonist, the villain, right? Uh, and the villain happens to be, for once, it's not the Assyrians. It's Jonah. Jonah's the antagonist of the story. He's the bad guy. He's the villain. Uh, he's angry that God would love him. 
Uh, God is introducing this idea, even in the Old Testament, that God's going to be for all people, for all time. And Jonah has a hard time with that. Uh, One of the crazy things I think about from time to time is heaven. And not that thinking about heaven is that crazy, but one of the things I think about when I get to heaven is that I try to imagine all the different types of people that are going to be there. Uh, That traditionally you wouldn't think of. Sure, you think of the saints and, and the people that have done great things. But in heaven, there's going to be all types of repentant sinners. And that means there's going to be murderers there. Rapists, pornographers, abusers, dealers, swindlers, money launderers, even politicians and lawyers. Can you believe it? I know. But all the sick and twisted people that have ever repented are going to be there, all amongst us, all at once. And amongst that group is going to be me, sick and twisted Ike. I get to go to. But will we allow access to Jesus for these other sick and twisted people? Will we be happy to know, will we be happy when others get to know God the way we know him? Early in my days at Marion, I would make rounds uh, with shut-ins with Ken Green. Some of you know Ken, he was a pastor here a few pastors ago. And I made the rounds with Ken Green, and one particular day, uh, Ken couldn't make the rounds, and he said, uh, can you do it, Ike? I said, yeah, I guess I'll have to learn how to drink black coffee all by myself. Uh, if you ever visit shut-ins, the old school, if the spoon didn't stick straight up, it wasn't thick enough, I think that's how it went, coffee was black. But on this particular day, I visited a gal, and she was particularly upset about her neighbors. She didn't want anything to do with them. And they hadn't done anything to wrong her. She just didn't like them. I picked at that a little bit and I said, don't you think that your neighbors need to know the love of Jesus too? And she doubled down in her answer and it blew me away. She said, I don't care if God told me himself to go talk to them about Jesus. I'm not doing it. That broke my heart, to be honest. I've heard some preposterous things over the time in my life, but that was amongst the highest ones. This lady claimed to be a Christian, but she was definitely not going to tell her neighbors about it. That was the last time I visited the lady before she died. I didn't hold a grudge against her. I just figured my time was maybe spent somewhere else, maybe on some softer soil. Jesus is indeed for everyone. As we come to the end uh, of our time here, I'm going to quote Tim Keller, which I think is Monty's favorite author of all time, because that's all I ever hear him quote, but... I could be wrong. Tim Keller says, as we come to the end of the book of Jonah, we ask ourselves the question, what's the story about? Who is the protagonist? Who is the antagonist? If it's not Jonah, who is the protagonist? It's not the fish, who is the protagonist? It all comes down to the last question in the passage. It's the last question God says, should I not have compassion? Should I not love the great city? This is what the story is about. It's about God, who is the protagonist, seeking to bring grace and love to a big city. The antagonists are the religious, moral people who believe believe in God and who obey the commandments. It's us. It's city-disdaining, city-phobic, religious, moral good people. We're the antagonists. And God is the protagonist. The book is about God's big love 
for an unbelieving, unjust, violent pagan city. Church, don't be the antagonist any longer. Please tell. Please tell about God's love. Love what God loves. Love it when really messed up people let God's spirit get inside them and make a change. Cry for what God cries for. Go, people of the church, to the unbelieving. Tell the story. Be the messenger. Let God be the God that Jonah says he is. The gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents in calamity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being that God. The God who provides a vine for an antagonist while saving an entire city. I thank you so much for your love, how it's beyond all of us, but we see it and we love it. We love you for loving us. And we love you even when we feel unlovable. Thank you so much for that love. It's your name I pray. Amen.